Welcome, everybody. Brad Ola Shansky. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. Did I nail the last name? <laughs> With the Motor Enclave. I've been wanting to talk to you for a while, Brad. The Motor Enclave is super, super impressive. I've never seen anything like it done before, especially here in Tampa. When I was a little kid growing up, there was a small racetrack off 275. It was called, I think, like Tampa Bay Grand Prix. They had these small little gas-powered track cars, and it was like a real road. It was like maybe a quarter mile total. And I used to go there as a kid, and I loved that place. But now it's torn down, and it's all apartments. So seeing this, I was like, dude, finally. It's amazing. <laughs> Only takes a crazy person. <laughs> to it's very, it. very ambitious. Yeah. So how did you come up with a town like this? How did you come up with this idea? So I had numerous other careers prior to doing this business. I did first of all, I did the exact same project in Michigan. Okay. It's called M1 Concourse. Um, prior to that, I was a entertainment lawyer in Los Angeles for 12 years, and I was I owned a healthcare digital marketing agency for seven or so years. Um, sold that business in 2008. Luckily, right before the world fell apart. Those, those couple of years and found myself with a lot of time on my hands and I don't do retirement well. Uh, that lasted about two weeks and um, just bored out of my mind. And I said, I got to do something fun and interesting. And I'm a huge car guy and I grew up around cars. My dad was building cars in our garage as a kid in Detroit, grew up in Detroit, huge car scene, obviously the biggest car scene in the world. And as I got older and had cars and had kids, like I found myself on the nights and weekends just driving aimlessly, you know, and the only thing you could do is go get ice cream and then go home. Right. Or go, you know, maybe there's a little car show in a parking lot. And I kept hearing the same things from all the other car enthusiasts I was hanging out with. I have no place to keep the car. I have no place to drive the car. I have no place to hang out with other car people. And, you know, like any other passion business, you know, this is, this is what's called the passion space. There's, you know, there's cars, there's airplanes, there's boats, there's golf. Um, there's always a very unique audience that will spend all their money on their hobby. But because of the nature of vehicles, like you need storage, there's so many laws and restrictions on how you can drive them. Um, people don't actually enjoy their hobby because they just don't buy the car they want because they have no room for it or their wife won't let them have it or mm -hmm. they're afraid they're going to kill themselves on the road or they don't want to get tickets right. or the insurance is too high, whatever. So I came up with the premise in 2010 maybe, um, the idea that it'd be cool to create like a gathering place for car enthusiasts. That was it. I had nothing to do with racetrack or garages or anything. It was just like, how do you create a place for these people to hang out? And... Um, kind of simmered on that idea for years, still working for the company that I sold. And when I finally said I had enough of public company bureaucracy that I was working for, um, I flew around the world looking at anything to do with not just automotive space, but passion space. So I, I studied, um, I'm very data driven. Having owned a marketing agency that was, you know, had data analytics division and things that were very focused on using data to, you know, help our clients benefit you know, without just spending money. Um, I looked at, you know, the most successful golf courses and why did someone build that? Marinas, right? racetracks, old racetracks, you know, sanctioned racetracks, car storage businesses, all kinds of different things. And what I quickly found out 
after about six months is that almost every one of those businesses is a financial loser because it's some wealthy person who said, I'm going to build the greatest golf course in the world. For myself and my friends. And I've got, there must be thousands of people just like me that are willing to pay a million dollars to join. And they quickly find out that the audience is very small. The audience of people that would spend the top tier dollars. And the problem also is that they spend overspend. So they build it for what they want. They don't build it for a financial return. Mm. So every place I went was just like, don't ever do this. Don't do this. I lost my butt. Um, so I basically said, like, is there a way to do this and make it a start from day one as a real business? Well, it's my passion. Cars, not racing. I'll talk about that later. Um, can you build a business in the passion space that has is a viable business that will actually make money? Um, and I had enough experience experience and success as a business person to understand the fundamentals of business. And I started to apply those fundamentals to this passion industry. And I figured out like, what should I do and what shouldn't I do? And, you know, like any of the real estate, you're, you're real estate guys, you know, that location, location, location. And I looked at all the other racetracks in the country and they're out in the boonies somewhere because mm -hmm. there's noise issues and there's right. traffic issues. And that's where you can get it approved much easier. Um, and I said, well, if I'm two hours and I, and I was the customer. So I said, if I'm gonna have to drive two hours to go do this, I'm not doing it. Right. Four hours round trip. There's no way I'm leaving my family for four hours. And that's why when you go to Sebring and when you go to road America or road Atlanta and you go to wherever you only attract racing people, right? That general enthusiast, which is me, which you see in parking lots all over Tampa and all over every city in America, you know, they don't want to go drive four hours round trip to, to race a car. So um, location was the key criteria along with how do you make money? And you don't make money by targeting a very, I mean, you can make a lot of money in, with niche audiences, certainly. But if you understand the racing audience, which I discovered, obviously when you talk about car enthusiasm, racing is the sort of thing that comes up the most. Um, if you go to racetrack, have you guys been to a racetrack before, like a real racetrack? Besides the one you went as a kid? I mean, we did a, um, I forgot the name of it. It was some service they had where you pay like 500 bucks, you rent a sports right, car. Yeah. Right, exactly. But if you go to, so that's a, you know, and we actually do that at our place. But when you go to a Sebring, you drive two hours to get there and you see all these cool cars and stuff. If you talk to the owners of those cars, 99% of those people have no money. <laughs> Their entire life savings is in that car. And that's great. And that's the passion and enthusiasm I love about certain parts of the industry. But you can't make money off people that are taking their life savings to do their track day once right. a month, once a year, whatever. Obviously, I'm generalizing. It's not 99%. But it's, if you think about what I, what I figured out early on is the car enthusiast market is millions of people. The racing audience is tens of thousands of people. And the racing audience that can afford to really engage in the pinnacle of their you know, passion is a thousand guys in the U.S. Right, yeah. So I said, I'd rather target millions of people, not thousands of people. Mm. Um, so what do they need? Storage, programming, events, camaraderie, community. And I sort of honed in on, I want to create kind of the mecca for car enthusiasts. Um, my original concept did not include a racetrack because every racetrack I studied was just a financial loser, huge liability, once you say racetrack, people like think it's crazy noisy, which right. certainly is there's noise, but if it's you know, if you're not doing NASCAR and Formula One, it's not 
as noisy, but it certainly there's noise. Um, and then I started looking at various business models, but and I, after I went to a place in Germany, um, there was a huge trend in Europe ten years ago, fifteen years ago, doing what's called car condominiums. So in, in Europe, most people have a car; it's on the street. The second or third car is also on the street. Right. So they don't actually have a place to keep these, you know, extra cars, and they end up in storage facilities. They end up in basically the person will have a house with no garage and had a cars. There's cars on the street, but they'll buy a garage at mm. a garage condo complex. So there's a bunch of them in Germany and Switzerland and France. And what I found to be very unique is that they can own it. They just you know there's a whole other business obviously where you can rent a spot in a, in a garage. I've got three cars in Tampa right now in a place called the Auto Den. Fantastic. The cars on a rack. I, I call them up. They bring the car down. I take it out. Bring it back. It's it's fantastic. But that's a lease model. You don't right. get, you don't get the guys hanging out when they're just storing their car. That's a storage and leasing model. So the ownership was what was interesting to me. Um, is you can own the space, so there's an asset underlying it, and I can be around other people that have that passion. Well, I then found out that a guy in Minneapolis had done it. Minneapolis is not a car town. There's very few cars in Minneapolis of you know collectible cars, and he sold a hundred something garages there. And I'm like, if this guy can sell 130 garages in Minneapolis, I can't remember what the data is, but let's just say there's 6,000 classic cars in Minneapolis. And class, they, they measure classic exotic and muscle. There's different categories, which are like collectible cars. Mm-hmm. These are people's second, third, or 10th car. Um, let's just say there's 6,000 in Minneapolis and there's 60,000 in Metro Detroit. I said, well, if I can't sell 100 garages in Detroit, I'm doing something wrong. So that's what I did. I started embarking on learning the real estate business and quickly also was educated that you can't just build what you want. Right. There's zoning rules, there's property, you know, you can't get properties too expensive. <clears throat> Certainly can't get property in good locations for good prices. So it took about a year. Um, you know, and long story short. Well, you've, you've did so much research. It sounds like up front. Yeah. Literally traveling the world to curate this business and experience for these customers. How long did you do your research and analytics? And it sounds like you've looked up demographics of areas. Yeah, I would say I'd say a good year before I did anything. Wow! So I had dedicated a year, did the research, talked to every expert I could, talked to insurance companies, visited projects, picked the brains of people that would let me pick their brain, posed as customers at certain projects that wouldn't do that, um, you know, every which way, and talked to talked to the customers, and then also in my community in Michigan, I went to every car show and every event, and I I would survey people just by casual conversation, like, hey, if if there were garages all together, hundreds of them, you could hang out with these same people hanging out in the parking lot. What, you know, would you spend 300 K on that? And they're like, absolutely. Like, wow. You know? And a lot of it was, you know, and it's you know, obviously it straddles a continuum of demographics. Like it's an expensive, something that people want, they don't need. So it's a fairly affluent crowd that we target. Although some of the garages we've figured out or discovered over the years is that, four or five buddies buy together. So people think it's all a bunch of rich people. Certainly even the groups that are together, it's not inexpensive, but you could get garages that are each guy put in 50 grand, they own a garage. That's awesome. Versus the guy put, you know, spent $4 million on one. So you guys offer that too, to a group of friends. Yeah, we have, we have, and we have rules around number of owners, but you could have up to four owners in an individual unit. Um, And numerous club members can be owners as well as family members. So anyway, that, after all that research, I built a project in Michigan. 
It wasn't supposed to have a racetrack originally because I didn't think that was a viable business. But as I started developing the site plan, all the car companies came to me and said, literally one after another, Ford, Chrysler at the time, uh, General Motors, and they said, how come you're not doing a racetrack? And I said, racetracks don't make money. And they said, no, no, you're thinking about it wrong. You're thinking about it from an enthusiast perspective, not a corporate perspective. And I said, what do you mean? They said, we rent tracks every day all around the country for ride and drives, for dealer demos, for training, right. for TV shoots. And a light bulb went off my head and I said, and obviously Detroit, that's where all are headquartered. Um, I said, well, if I could have a racetrack that they rent and pay for most of the time, I could have it for my members to just enjoy their cars in a safe and controlled environment for a much lower fee than these other private racing clubs charge. Yeah. The other so-called competitors of mine are waiting for members to show up all day and they're charging 50 grand a year to do so. We charge six grand a year and we give our members eight to 10 hours a week of track time. Wow. And it works perfectly. And the corporate clients pay 20 to 30 K a day to rent the facility and they're thrilled. Um, so that's what I did in Michigan uh, called M1 Concourse. You're looking at. Yeah. yeah, that's so the that's, map. So how big is this site here? It looks huge. So that's a 80 acre site. We have 200 acres in Tampa, but so Holy that shit. that is another example of learned a lot. I mean, I bought that property out of the General Motors bankruptcy. It was a GM plant for 100 years before that, so I've learned about environmental mm. and utilities and politics. This was in Pontiac, Michigan, which was the reason I pulled that project off was the city was bankrupt and had an emergency manager, so I only had to get approval from one guy, not a city council, not a from one guy. Yeah. He was, he was the emergency manager of Pontiac and he was a great guy and he loved the idea. And he said, if you're willing to invest, you know, $50 million in Pontiac, I'll make, I'll move, you know, whatever you need. Right. So it happened. It's amazing. Huge success. We sold 250 garages there. We have a 1.5 mile racetrack. We've got corporate event space. Phenomenal. Um, and it was way bigger than anyone expected. And everyone told me, same thing that everyone tells me here still, no one's going to buy these things. It's a terrible idea, which would have been done years ago. Um, and now it's the biggest in the world. And Tampa, by the way, people, most of, most of the naysayers have gone away, but people say no one will buy these in Tampa. It's not a car town. I chose Tampa, by the way. Your next question is going to be, why did you choose Tampa? Exactly. Based on data. A computer, mm. a computer program chose Tampa when I was mapping out the top 20 markets in the U.S. Really? Yes. And it's not based on what you think, because people... Everyone goes, oh, my buddy's got a Lambo. You know, he's your customer. It's just not the case because someone has a flashy car. It doesn't mean they're my customer. Exactly. It's actually the opposite. Most of my customers don't have the car because they're too embarrassed to drive around town or they don't have the storage at home or their wife won't let them have it because they'll kill themselves. And as soon as they have this opportunity, they buy the garage and then within a year, they got five cars, Right. whether it's a Mustang or Lambo or Ferrari, whatever. Um, so, you know, the beauty was... It was successful, thank God, because there's a huge amount of risk involved in it. Um, in Michigan, I had no, I only had one investor in myself, so I bet the farm on that project. Um, and it worked out, but it was a, really a learning lesson. So I learned the nuances of the business and what the customers want and how to do corporate events and all the different, I mean, our public events, you know, we, we test and learn, and we're going to do the same thing in Tampa, but the good news is 90% of it we've done before. Um, I mean, we've done... We tried to do food truck rallies and barbecue festivals, which were a disaster. We did a drag race with Dodge. Where we actually closed the public road down next to our property, and we had 42,000 people there the last four years in a row. You know, that's like craziness. Um, and we've got a member club, and we've got 
we sell merchandise and now they're building, I actually sold this project two years ago in order to move to Tampa and focus all my efforts on M1. Yeah. And M1's phenomenal and it's great. And it's the foundation of my business. Um, the problem is I wanted to do it in a warm weather climate. We're closed four months a year. And when I figured out like you're losing four months a year in business, mm. it's not a good business if you got to, you know, right. And even though it's very successful, you're, you're giving up four or five months a year of revenue. Garages are fine. They're all sold and people enjoy them, but you know, they now have, wow. an, they now have an event center. So you're, way. you're in it's, a pretty urban area <laughs> at M1. Wow. Yeah. That's in the middle of a neighborhood, thousands of homes. And actually just to the South is the wealthiest, one of the wealthiest cities in America, Bloomfield Hills. Um, but the beauty of Pontiac is it was depressed for 40 years, never made any money. It used to be a General Motors town, but General was pull, pulled out 40 years ago. Uh huh. And I was able to create an attraction. Now, since I put that there, um, by the way, all the neighbors love us. Well, I wouldn't say all. Some probably don't, don't love us. But <laughs> they supported us because their houses have gone up 400% in value. And the biggest sort of benefit, and we made tremendous you know, impact on charities and philanthropy and all kinds of things. But on that street on the bottom there, South Boulevard, if you go east a little bit, there's $1 billion of new development that would wow. never have happened in Pontiac. And I should have invested in that land because <laughs> I would have made a lot more money. Um, but it's a UWM. That's the largest mortgage company in the country. Wow. That's 9,000 employees on one property. It's a campus like Google. Incredible. Um, there's Amazing. A, it's just there's so much stuff. There's a so that, couple factories. That site there you picked up, it sounds like, right after the recession. Yeah. So you got obviously a pretty good deal on it. Local government wanted you in there. Yeah. From the buyer's perspective, you sold this a couple of years ago. Are they buying it because of the cash flow? Like what would be the advantage to that I next think, guy? Well, all the buyers buy because they're passion and their excitement over having their own private spaces. The comfort factor is I own something. And I, was, I, I mean, own. I mean the actual, the buyer of the whole oh, complex. The yes. He was my investor and he actually just wanted to own it. Um, oh, I guess that's the best buyer you could have, right? Yeah. And honestly, it's a typical story where it, you know, it was more of an ego play. Um, mm. And he wanted to own it after we made it successful. Um, so he's got it. And yeah. You know, they're doing all kinds of stuff. They're building a go-kart track. They're building a, uh, they just built a gas station there. Um, so you can see it's actually says roadkill nights. That's our drag race once a year. Um, it blows my mind that it's in such an urban area. Like you mentioned in the beginning, it's usually the these. There's no other project in America except for what we're doing here in Tampa where it's convenient. Right. This is, this is three minutes from all the population. Right. Um, Woodward Avenue, which you probably don't know, but the street we're on is the most famous road in America for cruising. It was the birth is the first paved road in America. It's the birthplace of cruising in America. Oh, wow. Every night in the summertime, there's tens of thousands of car people driving their classic exotic and muscle cars up and down the street. So we're right on that street. But when I did the pro when I launched the project, Pontiac, <laughs> like when I told people Pontiac, no one went, you wouldn't go to, you wouldn't go into Pontiac. Mm -hmm. Okay. Most of my customers. Even South Boulevard's like that was even too far north. There's one more big street below it called Square Lake. You don't go north of Square Lake. And Pontiac at the time was rough. Um, because of our project, because of the development, crime is down like sixty percent there because the city was reorganized with emergency manager. They're they're now they're actually now profitable. They've got a great government. Um, so I was really the first one to make a bet on it. Um, and it was 40 years of depression and decline, and now it's on an upswing like crazy. 
Um, and the beauty about Pontiac is it's, it's a donut hole. It's surrounded by wealthy suburbs. Mm. So like Detroit is on the Detroit River, which is like 30 miles south on Woodward Avenue. But it, Detroit's massive. This is, a, this is a fairly small city, but it's surrounded by all the money. And Yeah, zoom out, Tyler. So this is a... Keep, keep going. So how far away is this from Detroit here? It's 40, Got it. So this is, so Pontiac is kind of like a suburb of Detroit. Yeah. Well, it's actually Detroit is the southernmost end of Woodward Avenue. Pontiac's the northernmost end, and that's the main drag all the way up and down. What a perfect property for it's, the vision. It's a dream. I mean, the fact that that worked out was not skill. It was, I, mean, I looked at 50 other properties. I was about to give up. It was because of timing and luck. General Motors went bankrupt. They were trying to reposition these properties. They were looking for developers that were willing to do crazy stuff. I mean, I bought the property for very little, but mm-hmm. the, the, the amount of baggage the property had, the amount of utilities that had to be brought in. That, I mean, I had, we had to crush 2 million square feet of concrete. That took five months. Yeah. Well, I'd imagine the environmental cleanup too, just yeah, being a... a lot of issues that, again, I didn't know anything about. I learned along the way. Um, you know, I have... My, my background was a lawyer early on, so I've got a, some level of experience and discipline and sort of how to figure stuff out. I, I don't know anything about real estate, but I just figured out hire good people and get the right consultants, et cetera. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, so that project, huge success. I got out of it uh, you know, in a good position. And even before I exited, I was already working on a strategy to do other cities. Mm. Um, Never been in Tampa my whole life. I, you know, I've been to Florida a million times to the, to Miami and Long right. My grandparents lived in you know Miami, mm-hmm. um, and everyone said you know the computer said Tampa. It also said you know, what it didn't say is didn't say Miami, didn't say LA, didn't say what people think this should go. Because interesting in those cities and even here in Tampa, <clears throat> there's a lot of car. There's a lot of guys with cool cars, but they're not car guys. Okay, right. You go to meat market and there's a lot of sick cars in front, but those are the same people that are renting an apartment in my building where I used to live. Um, and again, I'm generalizing, but. Well, I wanted to mention that too. I went to Publix and Water Street and that garage. Yeah, that's, where, that's where I lived. Okay, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So like that garage has like Lambos and Ferraris. And yeah. I was there with my wife saying, people yeah. drive Ferraris and rent an apartment. It's like. And they, they also have a $5,000 a month car payment. That's, that's the LA lifestyle. When I first moved to LA to go to law school, like my, I live in a building and I went to rent this little basic apartment. And I said to the guy, my dad said to the guy, he goes, is there a Ferrari convention in town? <laughs> the guy goes, no, that's the LA lifestyle. He's like, what do you mean? He goes, you have a Ferrari, but you live in a terrible apartment and uh, <laughs> you drive around and be a big shot. Oh, wow. So listen, there's certainly people that live in my building and are in town that have flashy cars that have money. But mm-hmm. generally speaking, the flash doesn't mean that they're the target customer. It also doesn't mean they're car enthusiasts. Like I'm, my customer is a true enthusiast not someone that's trying to show off. Okay? Got it, yeah. And there's some crossover, obviously, but you know, that data, I used it, by the way, it was based on my customer profile in Michigan, which was not the usual suspects. It was quiet people, doctors. It was people that didn't have cars. So like, how do you go after an audience and they don't have cars? Well, when you start, because of the success in Michigan and understanding that customer, where I kept selling these garages and be like, if this guy walked in, I would never guess him. You know, this guy's a quiet neurologist, has no cars. You drive driving a t- Tacoma, you know, yeah, he might have money, but you, you know, you find out my dream is to own, you know, the Mustang my grandfather had in high school, or my I want the RX7 that I couldn't own in high school, or mm. I want my own place to have a bourbon bar, and I want 
my wife doesn't want to allow me to have, I, you know, she gives me a corner in the basement and this is my dream and she's going to give me an endorsement because it's five minutes from our house. Right. So there's a lot of, I always use the wife as the, as the selling point because a lot of guys come in and go, oh, my wife will never go for it. I said, trust me, bring your wife to the meeting because when she understands, she gets her spot back in the garage, she gets your friends out of the house and she can come check on you. You're going to get a pass. You know? Yeah, 100%. And in every case, not only does it, they get the pass, they get a bigger garage because the wife goes, you know you're not going to be happy with the two car, just get the five car right Right. Um, so anyway, the computer chose Tampa. Well, what type of analytics were you putting in the computer that made it choose Tampa? Yeah, so I looked at really three things. One is uh, car registration data. So we looked at those categories of cars that are in the market to say, is there a car scene here to begin with, okay? What we discovered is, and I, fly, I came to Tampa a ton of times, talked to car dealers, talked to car club members and, and people on social media. And, and I found like there's a huge amount of car people that don't take the cars out of the garage. And that's every city. And those are my customers. They're like too embarrassed to drive the Ferrari around. I'll take it to my country club, but I'm not going to the office for sure because my mm-hmm. employees see it. They're going to ask me for a race. Right. Um, or they had the you know, classic car in the garage. And I was like, holy moly, there's a ton of cars and garages here. But if you ask people in town, they're like, there's no... There's no F40s in Tampa. There's three. There's no McLaren Senna's in Tampa. There's actually three in Tampa. There's no whatever, and it's like, they're here. But if you ask, I ask people, like, did you know there's a McLaren Senna in Tampa? Oh, I saw one once in driving through town, but no one's got them in this town. There's actually three in garages in Tampa, in South Tampa, okay? No one drives them. Then it's like, did you know there's, you know, I looked at Shelby's. How many Shelby's in the market? I found there's one guy in Tampa that has 140 Shelby's. Holy shit. Okay. He's building a museum right now. I don't know if it's going to be public or not, but he, you know, he's got one of the best, if not the best Shelby collection in the world. Ask any car person in town and they say that doesn't, there's no big Shelby scene here. I have a guy, you know, a customer of mine bought a garage. You know, one of the best car collections anywhere is in Tampa in his garage currently. And I'm talking 959s, F40s, Pagani, like that kind of stuff. But they don't take them on the streets. They take them to shows. They really just look at them in their garage, and they have nowhere to drive these cars. So our roads aren't the best here either. Oh, they're I terrible. Mean, but Detroit's worse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Um, so you give them a track, and they get to use their cars in a safe and controlled environment. Whether you got a classic car you just want to take on a parade lap once a month to keep the fluids going, or you bought a Porsche, you know where do you drive these cars without getting arrested or right. crashing into a pothole and screwing up your car? But the biggest thing is that community and camaraderie. These people want to hang out with each other. And it's like, I hate the word country club, but the simplest way to explain it to people is it's a country club for car people. But the difference is people don't talk about their money. People don't, first question is not, where'd you make your money? What's your business? Are you, you know, what do you do for a living? It's about the, it's about the car. Why do you drive? Why do you have a Corvair? Yeah. (laughs) Or why is it, why do you have four Volkswagen vans in the garage? Like, oh, well, I went to Woodstock and my blah, 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 and there's a story. Or where can you put a guy, like this is a story I always tell in Michigan, I sold the garage to a guy who just retired as a train conductor. You know, not super affluent, nicest guy in the world. His dream was to have a track car. You know, put a significant portion of his savings probably into the garage. I don't know his status, but I know he's not a fancy guy, down to earth, super nice guy. Two-car garage, bought a must uh, bought a Camaro track car that's it in his garage built out a lounge upstairs or a, you know kind of man cave upstairs 
next to him was a guy with 20 Ferraris. Wow. They're buddies. That's awesome. There's nowhere in the world where a guy with 20 Ferraris living in a multi-million dollar mansion is hanging out with a train conductor who's got one car. And That's interesting. And the, and the best part of the story is the guy with the Ferraris makes the other guy drive his Ferraris. It started out, he said, this guy said, my dream is to sit in a Ferrari. So he sat in the Ferrari, and then the guy on the Ferrari said, take it on the track. Are you out of your mind? I'd never take it on the track. And the guy goes, I'll be offended if you don't drive the Ferrari because if this is your dream to sit in it, imagine what it would be like to drive it. Oh, that's so the awesome. the guy says to me, where in the world would someone beg me to drive their Ferrari? Literally, you know. Of course. Well, so it sounds like there's obviously a level of like camaraderie and a level of trust that you're not going to get in like a 7-Eleven parking lot at yeah. a car meet. Yeah. And then what we discovered in Michigan, which we're, we will roll out here. So by the way, as you may know, like, you know, everyone said it wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. It took years to get it approved here. It shouldn't have, but Hillsborough County is quite challenging in every respect. It's not exactly pro-development, um, but when we got them to understand what it is, because it's, it, we don't fit in a box. You know, we're not a multifamily development. We're not residential. We're not an apartment. We're not a condo. We're not commercial. We're not industrial. So if it doesn't fit in their spreadsheet, it takes a long time for them to understand it. And I appreciate diligence. It's just, you know, they're, they're not really receptive to something different. Mm-hmm. I could build a billion apartments today and have it approved in a week. Right. You know, probably. Maybe not today, but couple years ago um so it took a long time and you know we did all viral marketing we went to every car show we went to, we didn't do a lot of advertising and it's sort of you know word of mouth and we're almost sold out that's so. amazing so so when you were trying to find this site and you the computer identified tampa in your head were you like no way i mean why don't i go to miami why don't i go to la no because i looked at the top cities that told me were Tampa, Charlotte, mm. Austin, Nashville. Not usual suspects per se. Nashville may be in Austin because they're hot cities. Right. Tampa wasn't a hot city when I started this five years ago here. Um, but when I went to all these cities, I had a goal for years to live in Florida. I had a lot of family in Florida, not in this coast, other coast. It's a two-hour flight from Detroit. I wasn't planning on selling Detroit, so I'm like, I could have the business in Florida. It's a two-hour flight. It's great. I love the people here, very Midwest. People were super nice. Everyone I met like, how can I help you? Mm-hmm. You know, this is a cool idea. You know, the business people in town, the enthusiasts were like, no one's gonna buy this stuff. There's no, <laughs> there's no freaking way. Um, and they're like, you're crazy. Your price is crazy. Meanwhile, we've tripled our price and they're still selling. Um, but I, everything's gone up as you know. But, you know, I like Tampa the best of all the places I went. Um, and I could see myself living here. So that's what Amazing. I ended up doing. And then, the property was a total, you know, like it's an unbelievable, it's 200 acres. It's at the corner of I-4 and I-75. We have I-75 on one side, a million cars a week drive by us, and a private airport on the west side. Yeah, Tampa so, Executive. Yeah, so we have a private gate in the airport. So that's just like a, not part of my- That's sick. Yeah, that's It's a cool thing, and I think it'll be a good part of the business, but it's not even part of my business strategy. Mm-hmm. But we already have, I mean, I already know that we have 20 of our customers have planes, so- just by accident, wasn't by design. I didn't promote. I didn't promote the airport as a buy a garage because I got an airport next door. Um, the location's amazing. The access is incredible. I, you know, it's 15 minutes from downtown Tampa. There's no track in the world 15 minutes from a population of four million people. Um, and we're in a because of the airport and the freeway, you have existing noise sources. So right. we're not going to be. You know, certainly there's always noise. People always have an issue no matter what you do, but 
the neighborhood has almost by almost unanimously, there's a few outliers, embraced us because same thing. They're like we're like in a lost area of Tampa. We love it here, but development is coming. We accept that. And we'd rather have someone invest $150 million in our backyard and make our properties worth something than sit here forever hoping to, you know, sell our property one day. Yeah. So, you know, I'd love them to stay forever, but when they're ready to go, you know, and a lot of them are, some of them are older, the property is now worth three to four X of what it was two years ago. And I say, God bless them. That's, that's the way that, you know, America works. Right. Right. And, but I also say, I'd love to have you stay forever. You know, some people think I'm a speculator and I just want to buy the whole city. I don't need to own any more real estate. That's not my goal. Mm-hmm. My goal is to have a successful business, serve my members, make my neighbors, you know, as be as good of neighbor as possible. Um, and then we also have public business and corporate business. Like the, the corp, what I discovered in Michigan is that these garage owners, you know, we're like a marina. These garage, I look at each garage as like a boat slip. Mm. You don't go to Marine and have every boat guy there. Maybe 4th of July or Gasparilla, there's, everyone's there on their boats. But on a given day, it's like 10 guys during the day, 25 guys at night. You know, I'm talking about 300 units. On the weekends, it might be 100 people. And if I throw an event, you know, it's a F1 watch party or it's a driving event, we'll get a lot of people. But you can't rely on 300 people who own their garages, who's got lots of other interests and things and vacation homes and businesses and family to be there all the time. So where we really make the place exciting and where we make our money is corporate entertainment. Mm. So we learned in Michigan, by the way, I told you the story about the automotive companies. We learned 75% of our business automotive, not 20, not the other way around. So I'm sorry, 75% is non-automotive. I thought it'd be the other way around. And our typical client is a company. It could be Greco real estate that wants to do, a team building, an offsite, a client entertainment. You know, we have J.P. Morgan in the morning, and we have Amelie in the afternoon, and we have Greco at night for a corporate party, and we have a you know the charity event on a Saturday and a wedding on Sunday. Wow. And what we discovered is we're like a you know event venue on steroids. So, well, and in Tampa, we're going. We're, we've studied the market also very closely in terms of all the other venues, from the Armature Works to the J.W. Mm. Marriotts to and there's a void in the marketplace for a large venue that can seat more than 700 people. So we're building a venue that can seat 1,200. We're building a venue that solves the challenge of every other venue has catering challenges. Their kitchens are too small. They weren't designed as a venue. Mm-hmm. We have a 3,000 square foot kitchen. We've partnered with the best caterer in the region, Puff and Stuff. Um, we, and that's great. By itself, it'll be the best event venue in Tampa Bay. Oh, my God, yeah. But add on the excitement factor. So come have your meeting sit in the conference room. We'll give you a chicken lunch like the JW Marriott. But after your meeting, we're putting all of you in a race car for a throw ride or putting you in autocross. We're all compete against the clock. We're putting you on a throw ride or a drive around the off-road course. And that's what we did in Michigan. It's like every event has some driving element. So it's it's like the Disney-fication of a corporate event. Right. So rather than come to a boring you know, charity event, well, during the cocktail hour, we're giving throw rides to everybody. That's so badass. And do you have cars there that obviously you own that you rent out, lease out? Yeah. So we have a small fleet of cars currently working with a few manufacturers, hopefully on expanding that fleet. Used to be pretty easy. They'd all give you cars. Nowadays, they can't get cars to the dealer. So it's like a, you got oh, yeah. to beg for product. Um, right now, we've got amazing fleet of BMW M3 competitions, Cadillac Black Wings, Mustang Mach 1s. Um, so we had awesome cars. Unfortunately, I had to buy them. <laughs> They're very expensive. Yeah. Um, but they're incredible. And we use, those are our assets. So we basically use them for our club 
for you know some of our driving schools. We use them for our public or corporate events as you know throw rides, lead follow cars. Usually a small event, you know, 20, 30 people we can do drive. Actually, they can drive because they got to go to a classroom. They got to do lead follow. Corporate event or you know bigger event when we have hundreds of people it's throw rides. You know, it's kind of like rinse and repeat, doing lots of drives. But everyone's mm-hmm. most people have never been in a race car or at, at right, speed. Yeah. Um, and then we do public events. So that's the big you know, sort of negative buzz on social media. Always like, ah, oh, places for rich people. Screw those guys. I mean, if you read the comments, it's hilarious. Um, we've proven in Michigan, and we will prove here that you know, one, we'll do huge. Our cars and coffee will literally be the biggest in Florida at the end of the year when we do this. You know, it will change. You know, our merch is amazing show, and we participate in that. But when you talk about a racetrack, and we're going to park cars around the entire track on both sides. I mean, our first cars and coffee in Michigan, we had 5,000 cars. It was insane. Wow. Um, so we expect that to be huge. And that's free. Like, you can come there. We'll, actually, it's better than free. We'll give you a donut and coffee. We'll pay for it. So, you know, that's, I always say that's, that's the, people always say, oh, this is only for a bunch of rich people. Not, come, to my, come to our event, and we'll give you coffee and donut, and you can hang out and walk around and see every car in town. Great. Holy shit. So around the track. So it's like a gallery of cars yes, you walk both through. Sides of the track. That's yeah. so sick. So that's, you know, sort of the, the the baseline of the public events, but then we'll do driving schools, teen defensive driving, adult performance driving, drive an exotic car. And those are things that range from, you know, $500 to thousands of dollars. Um, what we're not going to do is like the typical, like 200 hour track day at the, you know, the you know, jolly time racetrack. Right. You bring your beater and crash in the guardrail. Like, We've spent $150 million. We're not, we want to embrace you to come hang out and go to a car show. Yeah. And our driving schools will be a little bit higher end, um, but we're not like the bumper derby, you know, there's a, there's a place for that. And I love, you know, I, I love those kind of things. We're not a drag strip. We're not like, we're a, we're not like, you know, we're not Formula One, even though our track is designed by the number one Formula One track designer. And I did that only because it's like having Jack Nicholas's name on your golf course. Mm-hmm. And it turns out, the track is incredible. Um, but like I said, what we've discovered is our track is 80% of the use is entertainment, mm-hmm. not true driving. 20% is our members who are, you know, some are amateurs and some are, you know, experienced. But they're used, the experienced guys are used to driving to Sebring, you know, mm-hmm. four hour round trip deal. Now they can come from their office during, we do lunch laps twice a week. They can come in their suit and tie, turn, turn a few laps, you know, release their stress and go back to the office. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm sure you had, I mean, I would imagine when you came up with the concept and released it, you had some local guys that were super excited for something like this to come to Tampa. Like people like the Shelby guy or the Ferrari guy who were like, oh my God, thank you for creating this, right? Yeah, I mean, the response from, it's overwhelmingly overwhelmingly negative response everywhere I go originally. Because people just by nature are naysayers. When you talk but about it is, it is like a crazy idea yeah. though. I mean, it I is. Get it. Yeah. I, I don't happen to be that personality. Like if you told me an idea, I'm usually excited about every idea. That's also a problem. <laughs> but, you know, it's an ambitious project. And I didn't know much about Tampa. So people were like, there's no freaking way you're doing this in Tampa because yeah. you can't get anything approved in Tampa. It took 40 years to get a dick sporting. You know, I right. hear these stories right. every day. Like, oh, top golf. That was never happening. It took years. And the county commissioner's like, you have no idea what it took to do this. So all I heard was negativity. But the people that got it, you know, only a handful were like, I'm in. And actually, I... I was raising money for the project at the time. We did a small fund to launch it. Um, and I actually, a few of those guys wrote big checks right like that. They're like, I'm in, I'm in a million bucks. I, I love this idea. I want to be an investor. Wow. And I didn't know these people. I literally had one dinner with a couple people and they're like, I want to be the guy. And those guys are the ones who now can say, you know, I, 
I bet on it and I and I'm gonna win as a result. Our typical conversation I have with most people, especially today that we only have four units left out of 300, is I missed the boat. I screwed up. I should have bought it. I, mean, I had a guy tell me last week it's his biggest regret in life. <laughs> Jesus like, Christ! I'm like, I, I wouldn't go. I, mean, I feel bad for you, man. Um, but even now, like, exact, I mean, the, the beauty is every single thing we experience in Michigan is happening. Every conversation is the same. The people are the same. Like the personalities are the same. And the people that regretted buying will find out a way to buy, and they'll buy. You know, we may expand a little bit, hopefully, and put a few more units up there. Um, or they'll buy someone else's unit who will double, triple, quadruple their money. Um, we don't have a lot of turnover in Michigan. Like we've had literally out of 250 units, we have had 25 sales at 10%, but only 23 of those 25 people left. They sold to buy a bigger garage. Wow. So we lost two people in seven years, which is insane for a piece of real estate. So have you already had resales here in Tampa? No, because we just started closing. So Just started. They have to own the unit to sell it. Um, we just closed, we're closing phase one, which is the first 90 something units. We closed about 60 in the last month. Um, honestly, I don't see anybody selling. There's no flippers. I think people bought as an investment. By the way, I sold 25 garages to my customers from Michigan, some of my customers from Michigan. And I bet most of them sold as, bought as an investment. No one will sell now. Right. Once they came here and see it, I mean, if, I mean, you can't. It's huge. Well, it's over twice the size as Michigan. Pictures, like, and Hank can share pictures with you. Like, I mean, I went crazy on landscaping. I, there's beautiful wetlands and preserves around it. There's pull up that video on Instagram, Tyler. I mean, it's it's literally the most like the natural beauty of the site and the birds and the nature and the airport and the, the landscaping we put in. Um, I mean, that's a, I don't hold, that's a little probably a month old or a few months old where the grass isn't growing, but we've spent millions of dollars on landscaping, palm trees. Like, I mean, look how look how expansive. I mean, yeah. un- unbelievable. And we another thing. I mean, we haven't talked about is the construction environment like this is the this is the hardest thing i've ever done in my life and i've done it before and i thought it was challenging in michigan it's a hundred times harder not just because the hillsborough county challenges um but you're talking about a construction environment where materials are not available labor is not available prices are going up double triple a month yeah you're, like you're people buying, are having buying, a hard I'm, time building a house i would imagine this is i'm buying millions of dollars of of material like imagine when you got to go buy five million dollars of the steel and they tell you price upon delivery and the delivery is four months from now Holy how shit. do you yeah so we made stupid bets mm-hmm. <laughs> and i just had i have faith knowing michigan if i didn't have michigan i would never made the bets i did here right like, no one in the right mind would risk the kind of money we've risked um and thank god for sales momentum and COVID certainly helped that, I believe. And it helped in a way, not just because everyone's moving to Tampa uh, and not just because people have PPP money and all the, everyone's like, oh, well, all these business owners, lots of cash because of the you know, government. What happened, the most critical thing I've learned is, and it's a great thing for society, I believe, is COVID shifted people's mindsets to enjoy their lives. My mm-hmm. typical customer in Michigan was a guy who was like 60 years old and he's like, I can finally buy the Corvette. Right. And like, and now you've got people that can afford it. Instead of saying, I'm going to wait till I'm retired, everyone's, you know, when they're locked in their homes for whatever, says, I'm going to enjoy today because I might not be here tomorrow. Right. So you see a lot of people have changed their enjoyment quotient, you know, quotient. Also, people working from home. Like everyone used to be nine to five, go to the office, you know, whatever industry it was. And now they're like, I can work from home three days a week and I get to get a day off at the track. 
so the level of participation has grown. Even Michigan, like Michigan, like nobody was there since COVID. There are way more people there. People are working out of their garages, using it as you know. That's awesome. Office. So that whole thing has just changed, and I think that when you look at all the passion businesses, they've exploded a lot because money has been flowing like crazy. But you know, I'm always thinking also when the downturn comes, and I don't think it's coming so soon in Florida. But you know, the beauty about my audience, the core audience is like listen COVID happened there's no events in Michigan so our event business went to zero that's a terrible business to be in when, when there's no events but when you have a foundation of 300 owners who own their garage own their real estate and by the way you know we sold over 100 million dollars of product all cash buyers there's no financing so that's what I was going to ask you know times go bad there's a recession whatever and I don't really I don't think there's going to be a major problem here for a long time um, but even so, these people, they're, they've got their cash parked in an asset that's not going to decline. And they have, if you understand car collecting, like cars are the number one asset class. Literally the best investment you could ever make is a classic car. It's proven over the last 75 years. Classic Ferraris, number one. Classic cars, number two. Modern art, number three. Real estate, number four. Stock market, number five. We all have all our money in the stock market for some reason because it's, Slow and steady. If you if you're disciplined, not me. But yeah, I mean it's and it's it's just what people tell train you on. Yeah. And the problem with cars is it's not approachable to the average guy because they don't have garage space and have a place to you know. So it's not a practical thing to say everyone should invest in cars. But for my 300 customers and hopefully more, you know, we're trying to develop some more of these projects. Like I said, they might not have a car when they buy it, but they're gonna have five cars a year later. Exactly. And, and when when the times go bad. You sit on those cars, I mean, it's proven. Like, do nothing but go up. I feel like that's shifted in the last few years with watches, too. Like, art, watches, crypto was a big thing a couple years ago. I feel like since COVID, people have turned outside of the stock market more and more and more. Yeah, and and there's certainly hype and overpricing on things that's starting to come back. Watches have come back down. Mm -hmm. Cars have come back down. And and that's sort of not not a normal market for that. Right. But you buy a you buy a Ford GT, it's going to double in value every five years. You buy a, I mean, most of the Ferraris when they say the number one asset classes Ferraris are unattainable. I mean, these cars are signed for seventy million, but there's only twenty two GT whatever made. Mm-hmm. It's like art. That's why modern art and cars. It's the scarcest commodity and it's the most complex commodity. So you're never going to have someone recreate a two fifty GT Ferrari, right? You know, you can make replicas, and I, there's actually one selling this morning, and I want to buy it until I saw the price. A replica 250 GT Ferrari on Bring a Trailer today, still got 10 days to go, is selling for $500,000. That's a replica. Insane. But the real one's $70 million. So, I mean, I'd love to drive a replica just because it's, it's the most beautiful car ever made. But you think about those cars, and those people bought the car 10 years ago for $6 million, $7 million, which is insanity then. No one ever thought they'd grow to these values. Yeah, people say the same thing about just real estate, residential, even in Tampa. Houses on Bayshore were a million and a half, even less, only a few years ago. Right, and didn't exist here. My, kind of my grandfather bought a waterfront brand new house on Davis Islands in the late 70s for like 25 grand. So it's the same thing. I don't, I don't see a reason why these unbelievable machines wouldn't be insanely valued over the next decades. Yeah, and, and what's happened in Tampa is the market's caught up here a little bit on residential. Um and because of the lack of development, you know, all of a sudden there's a boom. 
But I still believe Tampa is like ground floor opportunity. Like people are like, oh, it's got so expensive. Nothing's even happened here yet. And I'm not a real estate expert. I can tell you though, every house that's 500 grand now, you know, let's just say these lots, tear down houses were 200 grand three years ago. They're 500 yeah. grand now. They're gonna be 800 grand <clears throat> in four years. And houses that people think are high for 4 million will be 8 million. Because if you still look, what you can buy in Tampa is half the price of Miami and Lauderdale. Half the price. Exactly. With better traffic, even though people think there's traffic here, there's no traffic here yet. It's going to it's gonna get much worse. People people uh, should, people who are naysayers and especially real estate, you're absolutely 100%. They should really talk to people like you. Like you've lived in LA. You've, you've been to the other coast. We're still undervalued. It's, it's, real estate it's, here is still cheap. People don't a, get it. It's literally, it's expensive for people that used to live in here, okay? But population is moving here. There's come money coming from New York and from other cities, you know. Um, High-rise developments happening, you know. I'm telling you, look at Bayshore Boulevard in 10 years from now. People think it's like, oh, my God, there's, there's the Ritz and there's the this and there's that. Every building on that, like, if you're smart, you'll buy a $5 million house in Bayshore because it's going to sell for $60 million for land value in 10 years. Exactly. And, and, and when they say, oh, they'll never approve it, they'll never develop it. Trust me, when, when the city and the county see the tax implications and what they can do to improve transportation, all the things that should be improved. I mean, listen, I, I would love to keep the whole world quaint and nice, but development is coming. It's a question of how you embrace it. And if Tampa and the county are going to embrace it once they see yeah. what's required to do it, and you have to pay for it. And I, always, I kept saying, like, when I, when I bought the land here you know, for this property, People are like, oh, you know, we had, we had a few naysayers, you know, we ultimately got unanimous approval, but people are like, oh, we want low-income housing. That's what the county wants. And I'm like, do you know how you get low-income housing? I want low-income housing too. I am you know, do a lot of charity work on boards and things. You can't get low-income housing without tax revenue and people willing to pay for low-income housing, you know? So you need projects, catalyst projects that will bring development. By the way, I'm taking a dead site. You know, would you rather put low-income housing on a site next to an airport? I don't think so. There's not... Exactly where people want to, you know, in between I seventy five and an airport. So where else do you put a project like this except for between an airport and a freeway? And I'm bringing three hundred customers who all will own individually dated units, and we're taking a dead site. Literally, probably the, the property tax on that site were probably two thousand dollars for the last forty years. We're going to be two million dollars this year in property taxes. Yeah. So if the money is used appropriately, some of that money should go to all the other needs, transportation, infrastructure, low-income housing, whatever. And that's what works. And that's yeah. what we proved in Michigan. And the same thing can be said for the house on Bayshore. The families lived there since the 70s. Yeah. They pay 15 grand a year. Well, imagine if you put a condominium on it and then the city's getting millions of yeah. dollars in tax revenue. And listen, there's always going to be, you know, you see these, pictures of the guy who would never sell his house and they build a $150 million development around it. You know, from 30 million, he's like, I'm holding out. Great. I don't, I'm not saying do it at the sacrifice of people making them make, and this is not, this is not eminent domain where we're taking your property. Right. The government does plenty of that. I'm talking about private developers. At some point, there's going to be a price that's worth and the person will move. And if they don't want to move, they can stay there forever. I'm not, we don't force people to move, but why not let them create value for their families? I mean, think about all the landowners and all the land Farmers in Florida, I mean, I, oh, yeah. I have a few customers, I mean, fifth generation farmer and, you know, all of a sudden the land's worth three, four hundred million dollars and they've been sitting on their tractor still. We're talking about impacting their, you know, and, and their family's grown and evolved and become educated. 
Well, now they've got an asset. You don't think they want to sell it. And wouldn't your condo investment be extremely secure here too? Because the barrier to entry as a developer for another guy to come along and build something bigger than this, it's not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, listen, anything's possible. Right. There's really not going to be another project like this anywhere near here. Development challenges, but also, you know, there's going to be garage. So there's, there's two or three other garage projects, which is just like small projects, 30, 40, 50 garages. I actually believe there could be seven, eight of these in around Tampa and still be successful. It's a different customer. Mm-hmm. It's more of a storage concept. They try to position it as like lifestyle concept, but it's really storage. And there's plenty of people that like would rather have a place even closer to their house for storage because they don't want the community. They want a place to just have their own right. storage spot. Yeah. And they don't want the racetrack and they don't want to pay our price, which is way more than the storage units, right? Mm-hmm. And that's great. And that shows you like in, in Colorado, there's in, in Denver, Colorado, there are like 600 car condos, but it's in like 20 different little projects. And that just shows in these markets, people want this product. There's mm-hmm. an RV, you know, there's people that need a place for their RVs, a huge business, RV storage garages, and they'd rather own it, right? There's so many of these concepts. And, and the other thing is why I always like, I'm always begging government to understand this when residential development happens which is happening all over tampa they want to restrict the size of people's garages they don't want big box garages because it looks terrible they don't want people to have their cars in their driveway either and they don't want outbuilt you can't have a separate you know detached garage as your workshop you know, anywhere in tampa right every developer's got three car garage max on these fancy houses well we're completely complementary to that strategy like if you're building a planned development and you're telling everybody you can have a two-car garage and these people have three, four cars and you don't want the car in the driveway, buy a garage condo, mm-hmm. okay? And certainly, as I said, it's not for everybody price-wise, but think about, we partnered with a few of the salespeople at the addition early on. I went to them and said, hey, you're buying a $4 million condo and you only have two parking spots and they're coming from a 10,000 square foot house and they have seven cars. Mm-hmm. Well, they're not going to buy it, the addition with two parking spots. We sold them a car condo. Buy the condo, yeah. I mean, again, we're still a small part of that sort of world. That was my main premise here, like in Michigan. It's like when people said you can't, you're never going to sell these things, and every other project in the country was 30, 40 units. I said, if you can't sell, I only need 300 customers out of 4 million people. Like, this is not, (laughs) like, and everyone's like, oh. You're making it sound easy. (laughs) It's not easy, but, like, that's a big population to draw. Let's just assume all my customers are super affluent, which they're not. But there's 300 people in Tampa that are car enthusiasts, they can afford it, that have what. And some of my customers don't even care about the cars. They want a bourbon bar, they want a cigar lounge, they want. A, Let's talk about those condos and yeah. exactly what you get. Could you pull that up, Tyler, on the website? Because it's more than, like you said, storage. This really isn't storage. You're buying a condo. I noticed online some of them have like the bar, pool table set up. They're freaking sick. Go to the lifestyle gallery. So people, so you can kind of custom build out exactly what you want. We're selling an empty shell. It's actually an empty two-story shell. We don't even put the floor in because really, everyone wants to do something different with the floor. Okay, so you're selling an empty shell. You bring in your contractor and kind of build what you want. I'm assuming there's some sort of an HOA where yeah. you have rules, regulations. You obviously pay something to take care of the roof and the common areas. Exactly. exactly. But it's an empty shell. You know, it's, I call it upgraded white box because we provide air conditioning, we provide power, right. individually individually metered power and gas. It's fucking awesome. And this is the final product. Um, by the way, this guy bought three garages in Michigan, and now he bought three garages in Tampa. And he doesn't, even, doesn't he lives in Naples half the year, and he's coming to Tampa because he loves the lifestyle so much. 
You this know what? Wife's too? garage, by the way. He bought a garage for me first, and she loved it so much. She said, "I have to buy my own." And then he bought all those cars. Amazing. <laughs> and the idea that you could replicate this at your house is almost impossible. Number one, where are you going to find the land? But number two, this is less expensive to do it this way. You, I mean, that's another key thing we learned is a lot of buyers can't even go. So they take the high end of the market where these guys are true car collectors, whatever. I have a warehouse, you know. Well, they do this to their warehouse. The next buyer, and you're a real estate guy, is going to say there's zero value for the improvement because I'm gutting that building. Yeah. Right? So you have to hope to find another car guy who wants to be in his own building. Once the guys at warehouses buy from, from me, they're like, I can't believe I had that building for some years. It's such a pain in the butt having a building. It's, there's zero value in me improving that building because especially, in, you know, buying an industrial park somewhere, the guy, next guy is going to be a lawn care company. Exactly. And he's ripping out all the improvements. I mean, here, the next guy, if they do sell, is going to be another car enthusiast who wants a man cave. Yeah, and if you're building your custom home on Davis Islands, or even if you have a large lot in, like, Beach Park, even if it's, like, a half acre, good luck trying to figure this out. You can't. You'll never get anything like this approved. Um, maybe you're lucky. I've seen some houses in Davis Island where they got a you know, first-floor garage that can hold 20 cars, but it's a handful of, of places so rare though also you're, you're betting on the next buyer exactly but it's like you know when you put as you know selling residential like don't overdo certain things in your house because you're never gonna get money out of it mm -hmm. i even have customers here i tell them like i've got there's some crazy like this garage if you go down there's a white garage go down that one with the red car that's so pretty this is a woman wow very successful entrepreneur in her own right um, met her in a restaurant when I told her what she, when I told her what it was all about, she's not a car person at all, told her what it was about. And she goes, can I use that for dinner parties? I said, you can use it for anything you want. So it turns out she's a philanthropist and she was renting restaurant, private rooms, and restaurants to raise money for her charities for years. And she said, it's such a pain and, and like food's never good. I could literally have my own private dining space and do dinner parties to raise money for her wow. charities. So she bought this. Meanwhile, she put so much money into it. And she said to me, she goes, do you think I'll get my money out? I'm like, not with marble walls and glass staircases and all this stuff. But she has said it's been the number one way to raise money. She brings people in for small groups, talks, <coughs> talks about her, you know, their missions and what they're trying to do. And then a year after she bought it and finished it out beautifully, obviously not a garage garage, she calls me up and she said, hey, I'm sitting at a dealership in Fort Lauderdale and there's a car with a bull on it, on the front of it. And I really think it'd be cool for like eye candy for my, for my garage you think I should buy it? And I'm like, oh, first of all, it's a Lamborghini. What is it? And she's like, oh, I think it's called a Diablo. And I'm like, that's a great investment car. So she ended up buying two cars just for eye candy for her. And now that, that car she bought, the white one, has tripled in value, right? So badass. That was the one from my childhood from the it's 90s. So sick, yeah. So sick. Classic, yeah, too. She's got white, white marble floors in this place. White with yeah. the red interior. It's amazing. So these, obviously, these pictures are all from Michigan, right? Yeah. So is Tampa similar where you have like a bar window overlooking the racetrack? It's actually even better because Michigan, because of weather issues, I didn't do balconies. So in Tampa, all the units that face the track, which we call oceanfront property, <laughs> have outdoor balconies. Um, and we've added so many other features in terms of terraces and balconies and, and patios and, and more windows and bigger, bigger glass in the garage doors. Um, it's insane. And if Go you to the one on the bottom left, Tyler. God. 25, 25 square feet. Yeah. Look at this thing. Unbelievable. And people think that Magnificent. Everyone, thinks that everyone thought these were renderings. I'm like, these are real people's faces. And this is Detroit. This is not Beverly Hills, California. Are you? You're, I'm sure you're impressed looking at what people oh, have created. I can't wait for these garages to be built. Yeah. Because I've seen the plans. 
A lot of guys do themes. Like, so like that guy, this one. Corva. He's in the private aviation business. So if you look downstairs on the wall, he's got a giant. He's in, he loves racing, but downstairs he's got a giant aircraft on the wall and the floors are like sky. Um, and he's like, it's just, it's really cool. I love um, your pitch too about like, hey man, this is not even attached to your house. Like your, your wife can have her home keep it how she wants. You have your own space, do whatever you want. I love that and idea. It's private and secure. And, right. You know, brand new and it's hurricane rated and, and around other guys or girls yeah. that also have the same, um, lifestyle as you. And but by the way, it becomes very family oriented. The wives and the kids all want to hang out. There. I'm building a multi-million dollar resort pool because really it wasn't part of the original plan. All of a sudden all the wives are like, you can have a pool or tennis courts here. And I'm like, I don't want tennis courts. I don't want it to be pure country. Club. But the pool is going to be, we're doing a bar or grill. We're going to have events there. It's, it's going to be insane. 35 wow. person fire pit, 19 foot TV screen behind the fire pit. Um, Imagine going there to watch like the Super Bowl oh, or yeah. right? our, our parties. We do like, tr we do trick or treating Halloween amongst the garages. So think about a place where you can, and we let owner, 300 owners can invite their friends. We had 2000 kids last year in Michigan and everyone, you want to see the coolest candy bars ever given out right. in these garages. Everyone's getting a king no size candy shit. bar. <laughs> Amazing. Um, but we do, you know, we do a thing called garage crawl where all the owners get to invite their friends and open the doors. Everyone walks around and we have, you know, everyone's so sick. It's, it's just, and it's, and again, it's not, it's not the flashy guy with the bright colored Lambo parked in front of meat market <laughs> that, with all due respect to him. And I love all parts of the enthusiast market, but this is not about showing off generally. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously interiors are showing off. No question. Um, but like, some of the things I've seen there, one guy in Tampa is doing a full realistic pirate ship inside. I'm talking about wood walls, wood floors, wooden planks. I mean, it's Gasparilla kind of, it's going to be insane. I got, another, I got another guy who's doing a 50s, 50s slash 60s diner, has a one lane bowling alley. It's got actually all the seating is rear ends of actual 50s cars. Um, you know, and then a lot of them are, Basic. This one's actually a beautiful garage. This one's insane. I love the look of this one. And then do you have a relationship with a contractor that would specialize in something like this? I mean, I would imagine most of your customers come in and go, here's my idea, but I don't know a guy that could build it out. Yeah. So we, one of my business philosophies is we don't tie their hands. We don't make them use us. We don't make them do anything. We don't make them use it to, to sell it. Even though most will resell through us if they do, because there's no, you can't put this in the MLS really. Um, but we have a par preferred partner program. So I've got designers, general contractors, uh, flooring companies, cabinet companies, even have partnerships with big ass fans and California closets and Ben pack lifts. And we give them the resources and say, choose who you want or choose. You got a buddy who's a builder and they want to do it. As long as you got a permit, it's a code. God bless you. Many of our customers use our resources because one is I vetted them. Two is they're generally less expensive because they're doing so many units at the same time. Um, and you know, three is they've done, they know what to do. It's not super complicated, but there's a big difference between building a building from the outside in to doing what is, this is more akin to a retail fit out, right? You get, because we don't let them attach to the structures. You got to build this whole thing within the box. This one looks like a beautiful loft in a this city. The guy's office. That guy's, wow. he's, a, he's got a bunch of businesses and he uses it for office meetings and he works out there a few days a week. Amazing. Yeah. And there's so many cool ones. And that's it. And by the way, those are, the only ones, those are the only ones people would let me show. Right. There's crazy stuff. I'm sure. So in Tampa, build-outs have just started. Um, I mean, there's 
it's going to be some really cool stuff. So, and that's another thing. It's like it's going to take years before this place is fully built out because a lot of these owners, right. many of them are waiting to see what other people do. Many of them are like still haven't moved down here yet, so they bought it early, you know. But it's going to be a lot of momentum over the next year of people. And you're start. almost sold out. Yeah, we only have four or five units left. So four or five units left. And then what are your sizes? Like what's the smallest unit? What's the largest unit? What's the typical? So currently what's only, all we have available are, actually we have I think three or four small units, which are 650 square feet, which are really a two car unit. Um, Do they all come with an upstairs where you could build out a bar? Well, or tall enough for that, but I don't put it in because some guys want split level. Some guy want a hole for the car to come through on a lift. Got so it. In Michigan, we, Program the first 80 units, and I learned it was not a good idea. Mm. Um, so the smallest is 650 square feet. The largest that's currently available is one left, which is 1,400 square feet. Um, but we have, you know, we've sold. One guy bought 10 units of 14,000 square feet. Wow. That's the largest built, largest space. Typical space is about 1,400 square feet. Um, track side is 1,400 square feet. Non-track side is 800 square feet. 14,000 square feet. Is he going to combine all of his units? He, he combined half into one, like a real race shop. He's got a race team, so he's got a race shop. He's going to have all you know, lifts and tools and whatever. And then half his personal private collection, like Superman Cave, will have 20, I think 30 cars in that one. I hope he lets you get a rendering of that one. That would be unbelievable. He will. See. He's a great guy, and he's going to let us, he's already let us use his cars on the track and Amazing. show them off. And That's awesome. Do you do motorcycles at all? No. No motorcycle. No. Well, you can go to motor. You can bring a motorcycle to your garage, but you can't use it on the track or the off-road. Liability yeah. issue, or does it just add a whole different dynamic to the space? Um, it's it's more liability perception. Like we can insure it. Everyone thinks it's an insurance issue. It's not. Same to go karts. I don't allow go karts. Um, I don't allow ATVs either. Hmm. For me, my philosophy is, you know, safety is paramount, and just because someone's dumb enough to listen. I'm not saying everyone drives motorcycles dumb. Right. But when you drive a motorcycle on a track, your odds of a problem are increased, even if you're the best driver in the world. Actually, driving a motorcycle on the streets, it's super safe except for the other drivers on the streets. Um, but in my business, I've chosen to not have... It's, it's enough risk putting people on a race car on a racetrack or a street car on a racetrack, but it's an adult assumption of risk. The problem with go-karts is adults put their kids in go-karts and they get broken necks and paralyzed and things... I don't want a kid paralyzed because a parent thought it was a cool, fun thing to do. Mm -hmm. I don't care how much money you can make. And the motorcycles, the problem is, even though you could have all these amazing motorcycles, there's amazing, talented drivers out there and, and guys that race motorcycles and some of my customers, as soon as you have one fatality, and by the way, every track that allows motorcycles has fatalities. Everyone, there's not one that has not had a fatality. As soon as you have one fatality, even if the person signed the waiver and wants to do it, everyone else thinks the place is dangerous. Right. It's and, a very bad public perception not, to have someone. Yeah. yeah. And it's not worth it because it makes also sense. Also they don't make motorcycle events don't make money. So like I do plenty of things where we don't make a lot of money, but if I got to keep the lights on and return and make it do deliver return to my investors, I'm not going to do stuff that creates more risk and doesn't make money. That makes sense. So, and then you also have a dirt track too. Let's talk about that. So someone could bring, you mentioned no ATVs though. Yeah. You can do side by sides, side by sides, but not open four wheeler without a cage, no dirt bike. No bikes. Look how badass this thing is, though. The fact that you guys those have are cross carts. Those are the coolest thing ever. I, I actually didn't think they were cool until I drove one. <laughs> um, and that's, that's awesome. an FIA certified race cart 
So we do a lot of go-karts to some respect, but that one's fully caged. Air quote, go-kart, right? <laughs> All in the dirt. You're sideways. It's a sequential shifter. It's like a Hayabusa engine. It's, it's so super sick. light. Amazing. And those are the most fun you can have. And that little thing is 50 grand, but sounds like a lot. But for 50 grand, you can't have more fun than anything you've ever done in your life. Yeah. So, so the off-road course is actually 100 acres, so it's half the property. Wow. And um, we didn't do that in Michigan. We had no room for it. And it's the fastest-growing segment of the motorsports space. Wow. Everyone's building SUVs, so the car companies wanted space to demonstrate their product. And, you know, the entry price points, you buy side-by-side for 30 grand and have a crazy amount of fun. You buy a cross-car, 50 grand. And all these people have Jeeps and Range Rovers and, and Land Rovers and never take them So, anywhere. So my mom can take her Range Rover SV on this thing? Yeah, absolutely. Holy shit. We've got a jungle trail on the outside perimeter that's, that looks like you're in a Disneyland ride and you can literally drive through in your, in your SUV. We've already had two car companies rent it and de- demonstrate their high-end SUVs. Um, but we got a rally track, like you're seeing a lot of that dirt track. We have a we have an entire like two miles obstacle trail. It's called the Rubicon Trail. Oh, cool! You can literally you take your Jeep and it oh, that's feel like sick. You're flying, you know, tipping over. You're driving through water. You know, there's water fording. There's mountains. There's crazy stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. And I got get, I got rid of my Wrangler. Damn it, that would have been perfect. <laughs> and we have. Yeah, we'll have a we have a whole fleet of can- actually Can-Am is one of our partners, so we have a giant fleet of Can-Am vehicles. We're working on a, a major off-road vehicle deal, um, and people will come and rent them or bring their own for some events. Again, when I talked about what we don't do on the track, what we don't, don't do off-road is not going to be the Jeep Jammery ten thousand Jeeps just driving through the place tearing it all up. Like yeah, they do in some places out. Of course, ours are going to be more bespoke driving schools, um, you know, corporate events, you know bachelor parties, team building, whatever you want to do, like smaller group things. We're not going to do like a thousand people at a time bringing their vehicles and just driving around aimlessly. It's more of like lead follow. It's more obstacles, more training. Um, and it's a lot of manufacturers are going to come and bring their customers. I mean, Porsche just did our first event was uh, Porsche's 75th anniversary. And we had a thousand um, people come and we actually put the Porsche logos. I don't know if that's on, it's on our social media. Um, it was really cool. We put the, all the cars in the shape of the 75 logo on our skid pad. Oh, sick. Um, yeah, this, video, this is from that. But Porsche rented the facility, and they got to demonstrate their products and show off their stuff and have a huge festival. But you know, we're already booking car manufacturers to do ride and drives for the new whatever. You know, It's my cars. dream car is a 911. Yeah. I've always wanted one. Also, weirdly, like we were talking earlier about, you know, some guys have like the old Volkswagen van or whatever. Like my first car was a 1994 Jeep Grand Cherokee. And for some reason, I want to buy one. Yeah. I want one. I just bought my. My wife is like, "What are you talking about? Buy a Wrangler." Like, then that's more fun. I'm like, I don't know what it is. I just want that '94 Grand Cherokee. People in the car enthusiast market, people, typical people that buy cars, collectors, or just even one car, it's a very common theme when they turn approximately 45 to 50 years old. If they have a little, little bit of extra disposable income, they want to buy what they had, or more likely, what they couldn't get in high school. Mm. So I had an 86 and a half Toyota Supra in high school in, in the 80s, which was a fancy car then. I had a very generous grandmother who bought our grandkids' cars. Um, and I always wanted that car, again, because I owned it. I let it go. I drove it for 12 years, and I, you know whatever. And all of them have crazy miles. I just bought an 88 Supra, mint condition, frame-off restoration. <laughs> Some crazy guy spent so much money, and I bought it for like a fraction of what he did to it. And now I have it. And I look at it and go, that's cool, but I'm not really using it. But it, right. it's like it would be cool in my garage because it's nostalgic. Yeah. You know? And I, another car that I want, you know, I always wanted. You know, I a lot of people like me, like 
I always wanted a Ferrari Testarossa because I watched Miami Vice as a kid. I had a poster on my wall of a white on white Testarossa. I finally bought that car because that was my dream car. And I was like, if I can do X, Y, and Z in my business to achieve that, and that's not a, I mean, it's expensive, but it's not like, you know, millions of dollars. $70 million. Um, yeah. yeah. I, that I want, but I get it for it. <laughs> um, but I mean, I literally, that's the aspirational thing about the car. You know, it's like your childhood dream. You see it, you had it on your wall. And now in my business, you know, I can you know, give somebody the opportunity to enjoy their, fulfill their dreams and enjoy their passions. And, yeah. and that's the thing that, you know, I don't know how much time we have left, but I can just tell you like the best part of the whole business for me is I've never had a business where 99% of my customers don't complain. They don't bitch. Like we don't give them a reason to bitch. They don't, they don't need to buy what they're buying. They just, they want to have it. But literally these customers thank me and buy me gifts after they pay for all the stuff. They're like, I mean, guys have bought me watches have bought me, trips and i'm like you can't do that like you changed my life wow i'm like why and they said i've worked for 40 years never done anything for myself i've got a beautiful home i've been to hawaii with my family life is good i've never had my own space i've never i've talked about for 40 years buying that corvette you know and you know it's very rewarding when people you know say to you like you help me enjoy my life more and people think it's hokey sometimes because like, oh, it's for rich people. But it's not, all, again, like I said, I got I have one unit that's four buddies and they all say the same thing. Like, they're not super rich guys, but they're all hanging out together and yeah. all, they're not country club guys. Mm-hmm. They're, I'm talking about guys that work like at you know, Ford Motor Company, you know, but they've pooled together the money and they get to hang out every day and they feel comfortable. Like the story I told you about the, the, the train conductor, they don't feel, that's another thing I keep hearing is like, I feel welcome in a place that I never in my whole life thought I'd be welcome. Like I always poo-pooed like the country clubs and the rich guys and I'm buddies with all these guys. And, and it's like that, you know, old adage, like I want to be friends with the guy who's got the boat and the plane. Well, right. that's exactly what happens. Like these guys can't afford a boat and a plane, but the guy with the planes inviting them to hang out with them because they're buddies and they don't care about money. It's about, they love talking about cars. That's so awesome. I understand that a little bit. We moved into a house on Davis Islands and I was so excited because it was a four bedroom. And I thought one of those bedrooms, I could be like my man cave office. No, guest room, never gets used. <laughs> Her parents have slept in it like once and I'm in the garage. So I totally yeah. understand like at a later level in life, having that income. Oh my God, it's a no brainer in my eyes. Yeah. Do you have a space like a restaurant of some sort where there's a gathering common area? So we don't do it. So we don't have a clubhouse or restaurant because what I learned in Michigan is everyone wants to use their garage as the clubhouse. They don't want to pay extra for stuff they don't use. Got it. Um, all these other projects that are like 40, 50 units have a clubhouse room and it ends up getting deteriorated because nobody wants to pay to upkeep it, right? Um, so we have our event space, which is for corporate events. We do have a member lounge and the members can use it during driving sessions. Very, be- It's beautiful. We have full catering on site so people can order food to their garage from our catering. You know, oh, cool. Kind of like a suite at the stadium. Yeah. On notice, not like can't just call a 24-hour notice. We, yeah, it's not room service. But, but we are building a full bar and grill at our pool. And the pool will be open initially just weekends to see how it goes. And if it's every day a week, we'll do it. If not, you know, we'll see what the demand is and um, you know, full bar. And Yeah, judging from the pictures, a lot of people have a full kitchen in their unit too. So yeah. whatever, keep food in your fridge, do what you need to do. Well, listen, Brad, this has been an incredible conversation. 
super ambitious of you to put this whole thing together and I'm really glad you brought it to Tampa. I've never seen anything like this. And the fact that it's worked out so well and the fact that you have, what, six left? How many? Six? Five, four or five. I think five. Crazy. Four. Four, four left. Unbelievable. One must have sold this morning. <laughs> there you go. Congrats. Congrats. <laughs> Almost sold out. Well, where can people find you if they want to get a hold of you, follow along with this incredible project? TheMotorEnclave.com and the Motor Enclave on all social media platforms. Yeah, we push content out. We'll be promoting our public events later this year, even though people will keep saying this is not for me. You know, it's, we don't let the public in. We'll, we'll prove you wrong. Um, and then, yeah, you guys can come out and see it in person because 100%. videos don't do it justice. And I promise you, when you come through the gates, I mean, we see it every day, so we don't see all the progress, but everybody walks through. is like, this is the craziest place in the world because it is massive. Yeah. And it's all the people from Tampa are like, they already knew this I didn't even know this area existed. existed like, yeah. I've driven by it a billion times, but it's back kind of in an area that you wouldn't drive by, except if you drive by on the freeway every day. Right. So Badass. All right. Well, thanks again, man. Thank Appreciate you. it. All right. Bye, everybody.